0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 is where we're going to start today. It's kind of crazy to think about it, but a year ago, we started with this very passage. Last year, we started with Revelation chapter 1. And throughout 2022, we spent about 19 weeks in the book of Revelation. And we made it all the way to chapter 12 out of 22. My desire was for us to get to the new year and pick back up in chapter 13 which we will do next week and Lord willing we'll finish right around Easter celebrating our Lord and Savior Jesus. But because the Lord has blessed us with new faces and people who have not been here for a while and have not been able to catch all that we've talked about in Revelation so far for the first 12 chapters, and for those that are actually getting to listen to us online through our sermon audio, I wanted us to take a moment today to start off our new year kind of reviewing the first 12 chapters. Now, that's very hard to do in a short amount of time, so we're going to do the best we can with the time we are allowed, but I want us to do this in order to set us up on a proper foundation in order to continue on to help us for a lot of us to catch up to be reminded of the truths that are found in the book of Revelation and let me first remind you that it is okay to not know everything in the Bible that's okay we were not meant to know every little detail but every little thing in scripture We learn what God teaches us, what God reveals to us. And there are things in Revelation, certain descriptions of creatures, certain events that might seem a little crazy to our imagination. Like, I cannot picture this. This is a weird picture. What does this even mean? How can I understand this? Again, it's okay not to always understand every little thing. But don't let that intimidate you. From spending time in the book of Revelation. Because here's the thing. God has given us 66 books. And we spend a lot of time looking through Genesis to Jude. But a lot of times we don't open Revelation. Because we are fearful of what we might find. Or what we might not understand. And we might think, you know what? This is just too much for me. But we must be faithful to the word. And therefore faithful to Revelation. To study it, to grow from it, to understand. It's always my desire to treat Scripture with a proper care, not get too bogged down in the details like we can in Revelation, will tempt us very much to do so, but look for the basic truths that are found in the text. Before we can get to the deep stuff and all that crazy stuff that might be going on, we need to know the basic truths that are found. In God's Word. And that's from Genesis to Revelation. So let's look at the first three verses of Revelation chapter 1. We're going to be all over the beginning portions of Revelation from 1 to 12. So you get your Bible drill skills ready. Because we'll go for several of them. But just for right now, let's read the first three verses of chapter 1. It says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep it. What is written in it for the time is near. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for revelation. God, we thank you that you took the time to send your angel to John. To give him the visions that we needed to see today. The instructions that he gave to the seven churches. The visions of what is to come. To prepare and to proclaim that salvation is needed. And that Christ will return. And so God, encourage us today with these observations that we find in your scripture. God, help it to set up the foundation that we need, God, to follow you in all the days of our life. Now, we thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts now. And it's in your son's holy name that I pray. Amen. Amen. So we look at Revelation, and, and, and we're going to point out three observations today that i believe that we see throughout the text of revelation not just in chapter one but in all of it but look at verse three with me again we again see revelation kind of as an intimidating factor we see it as something to be scared of but what does verse three say blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear And who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Verse 3 tells us that revelation is a blessing. Revelation is a blessing that we must take. That God has given us it's my desire as we read through Revelation, as we already have up to chapter 12, that you would receive a blessing from the Lord in this scripture. Not to be fearful of what the tribulation looks like, not to be concerned so much with timelines and dates and all these different things. But you receive the blessing from the Lord that the scripture says is there for the taking. And so how are we to be blessed today because of revelation? Well, through our observations, the first thing we see is that revelation is about Jesus. Revelation is about Jesus. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. The first five words say what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. So many times we look at Revelation and we only think of it as an end times book. We think of it the details of all the things that's going to happen in the end with the, after the rapture and the tribulation going on and all these things are happening. What's going to happen at the very end with the new heaven, new earth, all that stuff. And there's certainly a lot of details that go into the end times. How it's going to end. How eternity is going to look. But the purpose of this letter To John, the purpose of this letter is to reveal the most glorious form of Jesus, God the Son. Let me say that again. The, the purpose of this letter is to reveal to us the most glorious form of Jesus, that being God the Son. We just spent uh, the last few weeks talking about Jesus as a baby. We celebrated Christmas and the coming of our Savior as a baby in a manger. And we spend a lot of time throughout our year talking about Jesus walking on this earth and giving up His life as a sacrifice for us. But what we see in Revelation is Jesus in His most glorious form form that being the king of kings and just the sight of Jesus in chapter one makes John fall down as if he were a dead man go to verse 17 of chapter one verse 17 and 18 of chapter one say this when I saw him John talking about Jesus he said I fell at his feet as though dead but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and then the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades." He is the most glorious Jesus who is the first and the last, meaning that he has all authority under him. There was nothing before Jesus and there is nothing after Jesus. It is Jesus who has all authority. He is the first and the last. It says that he is the one who died for our sins, right? The sins of man rose from the dead to defeat that payment. And now he says he holds the keys to death and Hades, meaning that death cannot take anyone unless Jesus says so. Jesus has all authority to determine who is going to heaven and who is going to hell. And it is based off the belief that we have in him, in who he is. So Jesus has all authority on our eternity and currently he has authority over the church. He shows us His authority by instructing seven churches in chapters 2 through 3. And He gives us instruction and encouragement and conviction and correction. And while He's passing on this information and all these things to these seven churches, these are also things that we can hold on to, church. That we can hold to in all wisdom. Jesus told these seven churches, the first church, He said, return to your first love. Return to that passion you once had for Jesus when you were saved. Second church, he said, don't fear suffering because it is coming. Instead of fearing it, be prepared for it. The third church, he said, don't compromise your faith with the false teachings. Look, there's false teachings all around us. There's false teachings all over the place and in our own community. And we must be prepared and don't compromise your faith to fall for it. Don't compromise your faith to be accepted by it. For church, he said, do not tolerate the evils of this world. This world will continue to tell you that not being tolerant is not okay. But God's word says, don't tolerate evil. Don't. The church cannot. The church can never accept the evils of this world. But sadly, many have. He told one church to wake up from their sleep. Church, there's a lot of churches today that are asleep at the wheel. They'll come to church, they'll do the routine, and they'll leave. And they will never have been changed. They will never be convicted. They will never push forward. They will just stay in their slumber. We cannot be that way. Sixth church, he said, remain faithful. Remain faithful to God. And lastly, do not be lukewarm. He said, you're neither hot nor cold, but you are lukewarm. And what did God say? I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That is terrible taste to God. Jesus desires a church that is faithful to him and will not just sit around and and try to blend in with everything. Church, we must be active and obedient to Christ because he is the authority over the church. That's what we see in Revelation 2 and 3. But then we also see that Jesus is the one in chapter five. Go and turn to chapter five with me. Chapter five, we see that Jesus is the only one who is worthy to open the scroll by breaking the seven seals. What we have here is God has a scroll in his hand and there are seven seals on this scroll. And the question is, who is worthy to break that seal? Only Christ is worthy. 9 and 10 of chapter 5 says what? And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, talking to Jesus, singing praises to Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They shall reign on the earth. This is Christ. The one who is worthy to break the seals. Now, what has the seals to do with anything? With every seal that is broken, that Jesus is the only one worthy to break it, a judgment is being passed on man. Now, you'll notice in chapter six, this is the start of the tribulation. Chapters one through five is a foundational setup. But six is where the tribulation begins. And know this. Nothing happens without Jesus allowing it to happen. We see that in chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come, Christ opened that seal. He opened all seven seals. And with each open seal, judgment came on mankind. Judgment came on mankind because the time had come for the tribulation to take place. And with each seal that was broken, the intensity picked up and it continued to pick up. But understand this, that nothing in the tribulation happens by accident and it is not random. Everything that happens in the tribulation from this point forward, it's all methodically planned out by God. Every step, every plan. Again, it is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is the one who sets this all into motion. But he is also the one that we should put our faith in. He is the one that we should believe in for salvation. Because he is the only way to salvation. And it is through him that we will rest in the hope of eternity. That is to come. Revelation is about Jesus. And it will be about Jesus to the very end. Second observation we see is that grace will be offered in the tribulation. Sometimes we look at the tribulation, go to chapter 9, chapter 9 of Revelation. Sometimes we look at the tribulation, and we just kind of think, all right, God's done. He's like picked up his hands, he's done. He's wiping it clean. He's going to wipe everybody out. God's done. No, no, that could be further from the truth. Grace will still be offered in the tribulation. There will still be those who will be saved in the tribulation. But we see that through the rejection of those who are lost. Look at chapter 9, 20-21. Chapter 9, 20 through 21 says this, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons or idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of the murders of the, or the sorceries or their sexual morality or their thefts. This scripture is speaking of the fact that all that has happened up to this point, there's a lot that has happened up to this point. There's been a lot of things that have taken place and clearly God is upset. Like we're going to see in a moment in chapter 6 how God is upset and they recognize it. And we see here what has actually happened and yet still there is this refusal to repent of sin. That's what you're seeing here, is that they did not repent of the works of their hands. It is a refusal. And because there is a refusal, there must be an offering of grace. To refuse something, you have to be offered it first, right? Someone has to offer you something before you can refuse. And there was an offering of grace in this moment, and there was still an opportunity for salvation in the tribulation. In the context of chapter 9, what are we seeing? We see that a, a fifth trumpet was blown. So you had the seven seals, and when that seventh seal broke, it brought on seven trumpets. More judgment. And with each trumpet that was blown, more and more judgment came and intensity picked up. And with the fifth trumpet, these demonic beings come up. And this is where it gets a little crazy, but you see these demonic beings and they have come to torment the lost. But they were to not harm those who were saved, who were sealed by God. But these demonic beings were described as locusts with the power of a scorpion. And you're thinking, that's a goofy looking insect, right? But there was something about these creatures, these demonic beings, that they could fly and they could sting and torment the lost. And what made it worse is not only that that they were tormented, but that it was going to happen for five solid months and nobody could die for five months. Imagine with me. Someone tried to commit suicide. Wouldn't work. Someone tried to murder someone. Wouldn't work. Trying to escape the torment. N- won't work. Guess what that's a picture of? Hell. God in His grace was showing the lost what their future would hold if they did not repent. Repent. God was revealing to the lost what hell would look like if they did not repent. And yet, what did we see in verse 20 and 21? They didn't repent. God gracefully showed them what hell would look like. And they still refused. In chapter 6, go to chapter 6. The lost recognized the world was falling apart. They recognized that the things that they held on to were disappearing, and yet they still clinged on to the things that they could not control. Chapter 6, verse 12, going back to the seals. He says, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig trees shed its winter fruit were shaken by the gale. These people recognized that God was upset. This was a cosmic collapse. You see what's going on. The sun is black. The moon is red. The stars are falling. The sky has vanished. The mountains and the islands were removed. And what did they do? They recognized that God was doing it. Because what did they say? He says it was the wrath of the Lamb. That this is from the one who is seated on the throne. They could see God. They could see God working. They were not blind to the idea of God. They knew God was real. But yet they cling to creation instead of its creator. That sounds like Romans chapter 1, doesn't it? Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 20. It says this. For his invisible attributes, namely his, talking about God, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Verse 20 alone tells us you can look outside and tell there's a God. You can look at creation and say, There is a God, and He is real. But verse 21 keeps going, right? For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore... God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That sounds a lot like Revelation, doesn't it? Sounds like a lot what we just saw in Revelation and it's happening in the context of Romans but I'm telling you church, it's happening right now in our own community, in our own country. This same thing that you know the phrase history repeats itself. It is very clear. God is real and people will reject him and rather serve creation rather than the creator. Church, there are people in our own community who refuse to see God is real. And they refuse to see that God's going to judge mankind one day. They just think God's going to Let everybody in if He's real. God's not going to let everybody in. He's very clear on that in Scripture. God is not okay with the lost. He is not okay with you doing life as you want. If you are lost, listen to me. Grace is being poured out to you because you're hearing this message and being told that God is real and that God saves through Jesus. Stop convincing yourself that God is not real. Quit telling yourself that everyone makes it to heaven because it is not true. It never will be. Only the true believer in the resurrected Jesus and those who make Jesus Lord of their lives will be saved and experience eternity with God in heaven. Grace is being poured out on all of us. But if you are lost, today you can experience the grace of God through salvation. Yes, grace will be offered in the tribulation, but don't wait till then to accept it. Don't waste another minute. Rest in his grace today. The last thing we see in scripture that we'll observe today is that God is and will always be victorious. Go to chapter 12. God is and will always be victorious. Now, I know we read this about two weeks ago, but I know y'all don't remember the sermon from last week, the other than it was a Christmas message, right? So we're going to read what we read two weeks ago a little bit. Chapter 12, starting in verse 10. Satan has been thrown down. He has been defeated. And this is what verse 10 through 12 says. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Satan is defeated. He is a defeated foe. And as we move closer to the end of Revelation, by the time, Lord willing, we get to Easter, we will see him ultimately defeated completely in the end and thrown into the lake of fire with his demons and the lost. But here we see his first defeats. And because God is victorious, salvation, power, the kingdom of God, the authority of Christ have come. The accuser is thrown down. And it is all because of Jesus and the gospel that we can be saved today. Satan will tell you that you are a sinner and you will never get better. Satan will tell you that you are evil and that God doesn't care about you anymore. Or he will tell you, you know what, you're okay. Keep doing what you're doing. And he's lying to you. He's a liar. The gospel tells us that we are sinners. But we don't have to stay that way. The gospel tells us that Jesus Christ took on our sins to the cross. That our sins will, that, that were leading us down to a path of hell. Christ is saving us from that. Christ is saving us off this path to hell. By resurrecting from the dead. By taking on our sins. Dying, resurrecting, and defeating the penalty. And because of this gospel truth, we today can find life on the road of heaven. Satan will continue to convince you that he's the winner, that he knows more, that he is better. He will continue to lie and cheat his way to the end and, and, and take down as many people as he can. But we who believe in the gospel message, we must take this message to the world, church. Our world is defeated. They're looking for answers. They're trying to make sense of the chaos. You look at them a lot of times You think, how can you think this way? It's because they don't know the Lord. It's because all they hear is Satan. And they can't hear God. Church, God is giving you the message. God has given you the tools to tell the world that they need to be saved. And yet we slumber and hold it to ourselves. Church, walk in victory with the Lord. And share in the victory that God is giving you. Look, you did not earn that victory on your own merit. You did not win that medal by running a race. You did not earn that trophy. No, you are victorious because of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That was given to you. And it is now given to you so that you would take that out there and give victory to those who are lost. That is the message that you have been given. And that is what's being taught to us in Revelation. It's not to be fearful of the end times, but it's to say the end is coming. But I know the Savior. And I know how it plays out. I know who Christ is. And I want you to know. Church, our world is going to continue to decline, our world's going to continue to be confused. And right now, it's one thing. In a few years, it'll be another thing. But the message has remained the same Christ is the Savior of the world. And we have been called to share that good news. Maybe today, maybe today you're here and you recognize that, you know, Pastor, I, I don't think I'm saved. I recognize that I'm really not saved. I know I haven't been walking in that victory you're talking about. I know I haven't felt that grace. I know I have not accepted that call. I'm going to tell you today, you can. In a moment, I'm going to stand right here. And if God is calling you to be saved, meet me here. Pastor, I need to be saved. Maybe today you hear this message and you you think, you know what? I've let a lot of sin get in my life. I've let Satan convince me of a lot of things. I'm walking around defeated lately. Maybe you just want to come to this altar and seek repentance. Repent of your sin. Maybe today you have been walking around pretty defeated lately. Maybe Christmas wasn't so jolly and bright for you. There's a lot of difficult things going on. Satan doesn't take a break. Depression doesn't take a break. Anxiety doesn't take a break just because it's Christmas. Maybe today you just need to come to this altar and feel the warm embrace of Jesus. The comfort that only God can give. Because here's the thing, salvation we are feeling grace from salvation, but that grace doesn't stop at salvation. That grace is poured out on us through our lives. And that grace is what comforts us in the hard times. It's what gives us what we need to sustain and to continue the mission that God has called us to. Maybe you just need to even sit at your pew if you, if you, if you need to and just feel the warm embrace of God's grace today. However God is asking you to respond, church. Respond. Respond faithfully to it. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for this book of Revelation. And God, while there's a lot of it we don't understand, there's a lot of it that just doesn't make sense in our lives. God, I'm praying today, though, That there's a lot of truth to be taken from this letter, this book. And God, we know we see Jesus in his most glorious form. That God, John, just being in his presence, fell as if he was dead. Because the great gloriousness was too much. God, I look forward to that day when I can stand before you and your son. And see you both in your most glorious form. But until that day, God, you have called us all to a mission. God, you know our world is lost. You recognize it. That's why you sent Jesus. And God, if Jesus can save us, he can save anybody. And God, as we we believe and we trust in the good news, God, you've called us to share it. So God, help us to faithfully share your gospel with the world. God, I pray that 2023 is a year of evangelism, that this will be the year that the gospel spread to the furthest places, but also spread in our own community, in places we didn't even realize needed the gospel. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for grace. God, I pray for those that may be hurting today. God, those who need your comfort, I pray you pour out your comfort and grace on them. But God, I also pray for those who might be lost. God, if there's anyone here who does not know you, I pray today that they answer that call That they don't waste another moment because it is clear that we don't know. We don't know when the time will be up. How closer we are to the end, we just know we're getting there. God, help us to respond faithfully to you. It's in Jesus' holy name that I pray. Amen.